Seven on the clock. To Marshall. Touchdown, Denver. And Marshall ties the NFL record with his 20th catch of the game and his second touchdown. And the Broncos are going to be within four. Again, working on the 5-8, Tim Jennings. Kind of a no-brainer here. Single coverage. And uh, Jennings was looking for a push-off. Marshall didn't have to push off. He knew the ball would be thrown high, about nine feet off the ground. Easy pickings. Strategy is defined as a plan of action, designed to achieve a particular aim. Finding your winning strategy can happen overnight or can take years to develop. Here on the Strats Podcast, I hang out with athletes, experts, entertainers, and adventurers, some old friends and some new, to hear how they found their edge in a particular field or for a particular event. Expect to hear about motivation, personal struggles and successes, and actual advice for anyone looking to be better today than they were yesterday. My name is Charles Thorpe. My work has allowed me to share stories from the best and the brightest. Now I'm bringing those conversations here. He calls the play and I just, before I left the huddle, I said, I'm not doing that shit. Just wherever I go, just keep your eyes on me. I'm going to fucking get open. I'm going to find a way. Making up a route. He found me. He hit me, we got it, and then I was like, okay, I got the record, now I gotta go get the first down. That was NFL wide receiver and founder of House of Athlete, Brandon Marshall, and his time for the Strats Podcast. I'm gonna kind of start a little bit at the beginning, if you don't mind. Throw it all the way back. Yeah, throw it all the way back to like, when did you first get a football in your hands. Oh, wow. Do you remember? Yeah, we're going all the way back there. The story is when my mom had me, they immediately put a football in my crib. That's the story. And I was a a big baby. I was almost 10 pounds or right at 10 pounds. I can't recall a time not having a football in my hand or not thinking about football. So you go back to day one. It's always been about football. And I come from a neighborhood or in even a city that is football crazy. They're football nuts. Football is everything. And that's Pittsburgh. You know, I mean, the Steelers fans probably travel better than any other fan base. They're super loyal and they're rowdy, right? So it was always in me. Can you remember the moment when you realized that you're excelling at it or that you had an ability there that others might not have had? I started playing tackle football, organized football at six, the earliest you can play, right? Helmet, pads, all of that stuff. We played almost every single day in the street, in the local fields. I mean, we played every single game that you can imagine with a football. I just remember before I even started playing organized football, playing free frog, we call it free frog, throw the ball up, toss up, and then you catch it and you got to make moves and you got to go. Pure chaos. And I just remember always being shifty and having the agility and making people miss. I felt special then from a football standpoint. Think about Barry Sanders. That's the guy that I idolized and looked up to. So being four or five years old, playing toss-up football, I was making guys miss. And then my first year playing organized ball, I played offensive line, I wore like number 62. And then the very last game, They put me at running back, and my first carry, I took it 99 yards for a touchdown. So I grew up playing running back, and I outgrew the position and fell in love with wide receiver. 
you kind of took us through that story arc that I was going to hit upon is because other players in the league had compared you to somebody that should be playing a different position. Maybe you were a defensive lineman that was playing wide receiver and you were able to break through tackles. What about wide receiver appealed to you? In football, all the avid football fans out there, we have this saying, it's like ball security is job security, yours and mine. Coach DJ McCarthy, who works with us, he used to have this sign in our receiver room and that's what we live by. You got to protect the ball. I moved from Florida to Augusta, Georgia. And uh, I was new. I was a new kid. And they had like six running backs that grew up in the system. When I was growing, I was, I was uh, like in at the beginning of this growth spurt. It's my freshman year. And they gave me an opportunity in the Jamboree to play running back. I was like, all right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna let you try it. But I was really good at running back. And the first play, tossed to the right, it felt like Barry Sanders. Made four or five guys miss, spent cross field, beautiful play, 20-yard game. Okay, interesting. Ran the same exact play again, and it felt like it was like the same movement, like shaking, making people miss, spin, cut across field, 20-yard gain, but I fumbled. And when I fumbled the ball, they were like, all right, well, that's enough for you at running back. And that offseason, my pops, they wanted me to play wide receiver and corner and all these other things. So my pops took me out, and he showed me how to run a 10-yard outcut. And the way he taught me Right, and this is really important because it goes into like details. I never understood why, like, if a coach draw a play on the board, and it's like ten yards, fifteen yards, like, get your damn depth, right? Do it exactly this way. Like that, the goal is to do it that way. I could never understand how some of the younger players come in, and it's a ten yard route, and they're they're short. They're at eight. They're at nine. They're at twelve, fifteen. Right. So like, do it, and then you'll grow into a place where you can kind of like take creative control it's like an art out there right and you start feeling certain things and you know you can tweak your route the beginning maybe halfway through you might be a 10-yard route you might change your tempo or the speed you know be deceptive a little bit or at the top you might look left but you're really going right but anyways my dad that off season he showed me how to run this 10-yard out he was like all right I want you to run from this line to that line go straight down right and we did that and I mastered that route and and then I played safety and corner, and that was fine. Wasn't getting the ball a lot. And back in the day, especially playing in Georgia, those two years, we didn't really throw the ball like that. So we we're talking about maybe 20 catches, right? I don't know. My senior year, I just it kind of clicked for me. I didn't want to play defense because I didn't want stingers, and I just felt like I wanted to play at the University of Florida, and I want to I want to play a position to make the crowd go wild and get loud all the time. And I was like, receivers that wasn't going to be quarterback because I played quarterback my senior year. Wide receiver, I played my junior year. I had a gut, like my gut feels like, I think I'm going to have the most success at wide receiver. And I wasn't thinking about college. I was thinking about the NFL, right? It was, everything was about the NFL. Coach Ron Zook took over for Steve Spurrier. Like as a little boy, I wanted to play for the Gators. That was my dream. Coach Spurrier was recruiting me. He left, went to the Redskins. It was the Washington Redskins at the time. Now they're the Commanders. And Zook comes in. Zook offers me at safety. And I'm sitting in his office and I'm like, coach, man, just let me, just give me three weeks. Just give me camp to prove to you that I can play wide receiver. If I don't prove to you in these three to four weeks in camp, you can put me anywhere on the field. You can put me at linebacker. You can put me at safety, right? Anywhere. And he just looked at me and my father was sitting next to me. He's like, do you want to be a Gator or not? Like kind of intense and aggressive. 
And I looked at him, and this was my dream. And I stood up and I said, Coach, thank you so much, but I think I'm going to go to UCF. UCF was nothing. And I was like, you know what? They're throwing the ball. And I have this vision. I have this, this passion about playing wide receiver. I think this is what's best for me. And I walked away from my childhood dream of playing for the Gators, right, the swamp. It was tough the first three years and even my fourth year, and we finally broke through. I know you do a lot of work with the Combine right now. You work with a lot of athletes. I kind of want to hear just a little bit about your Combine experience. I know it's very unique for different players. I, I wasn't on that initial That's list. That's crazy. We tried to bribe the head <laughs> of the Combine. We did everything. We tried to pay them off. Uh, my agent. I ended up getting invited. Yeah. Okay. So let me get to that. I ended up getting invited. But it changes the process. You have six to eight weeks to get it done. That's it. Like, think about when I was dreaming about playing in the swamp and this vision of making it to the NFL one day. You do all of that, 15-something years, whatever it is, and then you have two months to go through this, the biggest interview of your life. You're transforming your body. You're transforming your mind. Now I'm presenting in front of owners, potentially, general managers, head coaches. Hey, Brandon, get on the board. I want to see your, I want to see your favorite play, right? Like, how do you wow them? And these are the things that you learn. So it matters if you have this invite or not because it, it dictates how much time you have. So I didn't get the invite, and we were trying, we were trying. Never forget, I was at Chris Carter's Fast Camp. And this is how I got into House of Athletes. It was my first experience, which actually started my junior year in college. Coach DJ McCarthy sent me in the offseason down south to Chris Carter's camp, right? Paid for everything, and, like, it was great. I went from a 4 eight. 40 and they called me terrible Owens low I was you know big guy they thought I was gonna play tight end and I came back out of four five five forty and the team seen it the first catch I had outcut that 10-yard outcut on the left side of the field in our indoor facility took up this took it up the sideline outran this angle of all these fast guys and the entire UCF team just ran in the goal line into the the end zone and just like was like oh my goodness wow so anyways I'm in this moment for combine and and it's like all right I'm not getting in and then I remember getting a call I was in the middle of my workout and I got a call and they called the they called Chris Carter's the, the office the front they're like Brandon you got a call and it was the guy who ran the combine he's like hey we got you in and I had fucking three weeks. So now we had to supercharge it to really be ready in three weeks. So it was intense, uh, but it was a great experience because now I had the opportunity to be on the stage with all the other wide receivers. And it didn't matter what school you were at. I don't care if you went to Florida. I don't care if you went to Florida State. Miami now, was, it was awesome. It was intense. A lot of anxiety around that time. Um, but when I left the combine, I was like, oh, I could play in the NFL. I should go first round. I ended up going fourth round, but I'm like, Greg Jennings looked good. Delaney Walker, he was a wide receiver, came from a small school. He ended up playing tight end, having a legendary career. He looked good. Santonio Holmes looked good. And then there was... Um, Maybe one other wide receiver that I thought that should be potentially drafted ahead of me. There ended up being like 14 receivers or so drafted ahead of me. Probably had the longest career and statistically. There was one point in my career where I looked at this, and this is the competitive side, right? There was one point like halfway through my career, I, like I added up all of their stats, yards, touchdowns, receptions. Smoked them. And all of those guys combined, I had more. <laughs> How did you train during the early parts of your career to make you successful as a wide receiver? What were the things that you were doing that you were working on to give yourself that quickness and to dial in those jukes and to be able to move like you did? 
feel like a lot of the agility and shiftiness that I had was just God given and or if it was like environmental playing ball when I was little. Uh, but as far as like how I trained when I got to the league, speed, strength, and even working on perfecting my craft, you know, that was all routine. But it started at Chris Carter's. Chris Carter, he had Randy Moss there and all the legend wide receivers training there during that time. And that's where the ELG treadmill from Woodway, that's in our facilities now, that's where that came from, was overspeed training. That was that moment I had, you know, how I went from 4'8 to 4'5, caught that out on the left side of the field, took off on the sideline, the team, ran the angle, the team was there, right? Because I'm like that ELG treadmill, right? And so the speed comes from that. And then you just take from other people, you see the veterans in a locker room, you know, doing different things and how they recover. Like I didn't get a massage. I didn't do dry needling. I ain't believe in like any of the MAT, ART, any of that crap. I call it, back in the day, I called it foo-foo stuff, <laughs> right? Like that get hurt. And they're like, where are you gonna be out four to six weeks? And we need you to come do treatment. I didn't want to get up early. I didn't want to do treatment. I was like, no, I was eating McDonald's every day. Every day after practice, I would go get two spicy chicken sandwiches and a triple thick <laughs> chocolate milkshake for a couple years. My body started breaking down. Then the veterans forced me to start getting massages and paying for it and sending people to my house. And so I'm saying all that because like you pull from people along the journey, right? And then what you do is you start taking what works for you and that becomes your routine. You try a lot. I remember this receiver, Quincy Carter, he was sitting next to me, he was a veteran. I was in that phase, those first couple of years, eating those spicy chicken sandwiches and crap every day. And he's rubbing something on his legs. I'm like, like flex all. I'm like, bro, that shit don't work. What are you doing? He's like, it don't hurt. <laughs> try it off, youngin'. So the thought process for a lot of these guys, whether it's the Tom Brady's and the LeBron James of the world, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that 1%, right? Okay. And so you, you try things, and then whatever gets the response that you're trying to get or you feel something, you add it to your routine. Do you remember what year it was where you had that shift in perspective where, okay, now I'm open to trying everything, cupping, dry needling, taking a new supplement, that sort of thing. When did you start to open yourself up to that? Phases to it, right? Like, you know, House of Athlete, we really lean into our five pillars fundamentals of health, train, fuel, mental fitness, recover, and tribe, tribe is team. And each one of those pillars I can pull, it's different phases, not all, it doesn't all hit at once. Like the training part started way back in the day. The fuel part started when I was with the Miami Dolphins and I saw Ricky Williams and Ronnie Brown eating weirdly. And I was like, why are you guys eating like, and it was like, oh, I got my blood tested and I learned the foods that, that doesn't react well to my system, right? So now we're talking about food sensitivity. And I got with this doctor and the doctor took my blood and we went through this whole process and it was very intense. We created our own, my own menu on, you know, what worked well for my system. Like a lot of people say, all right, well, chicken breast is healthy. It's great. Well, chicken breast may be something that your body doesn't respond well to. You know, every time we put something in our mouth, our body has a chemical reaction, good or bad, right? And so, like, that was the Miami Dolphins. That was 2011, 2012, when I really started leaning into nutrition, and it felt amazing. I still was at the prime of my career, and I was young, and it took me an hour to warm up, and I felt old. Once I changed my nutrition, like, I, wouldn't, I didn't even have to warm up anymore. You know, it was like I was ready to roll as soon as I rolled out of bed. Uh, my sleep changed everything. Talking about preparedness and opportunity, 
that incredible Broncos career, I do want to hit on 2009 and just that that record-breaking game. You know, those stats. Were you chasing stats when you were coming up, or what do they mean to you now when you have something like that? That's that's a record in a league that's so competitive. Uh, originally, I was I was never chasing stats. Like in college, Mike Sims Walker was my roommate. He's one of my brothers still to this day. You know, we had this thing where it was like, look, we know where the ball's going. And if you're doing well or if you have catches and all your yards and I don't, then I'm going to take that spot and vice versa. So we were always looking out for each other. And it wasn't until I got to the NFL that I realized everybody don't think like that, right? Javon Walker got this big deal. And um, I remember going into my second year and I was going to be the number two guy. And I had this conversation. I'm like, look, bro, like anytime you want to take my spot because you know you want to come. If you want to come back side, you want to play X like you can do that. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. Like what? And anyways, he ended up going down and Jay Cutler just like flooded me with so many targets. And I had this amazing, this amazing run. I had those country catches and everybody started talking about it. They were like, oh, this is a big feat. This is a big deal. I was like, oh, I guess yeah. it is. And this is the standard every year. So that's why, like, you know, I'm up there when it comes to the 100 catches in the season. Because it was like, oh, people talked about it when I did it the first time. So maybe I just need to continue to do that every year. There's more to that conversation with Javon Walker. It just didn't feel – he was one of my mentors. And he's a, he was a great teammate. And we have a great relationship. But – it wasn't like that. It wasn't the same. It was, you know, it was a business. And so that's when I start thinking about stats. And then I start seeing like, oh, if you hit these numbers and achieve these goals, you could potentially get a bigger contract. You're in a very competitive sport. You're probably a competitive person. Seeing on the field what you do, and, and that's a competitive element, you know, chasing that success. And when you had, you know, that game against the Colts where you had those 21 catches, what made you ready for that opportunity? At what point in the game did you start to realize, oh, this is something special. I'm, I'm a part of something special. We talked earlier about our different pillars at House of Athlete and HOA Plus, House of Athlete Plus, and how they showed up in different phases. Well, this was like the beginning of mindset for me, right? This was, this was more performance and that impairment, right? Self-talk. It wasn't during the game. It was before the game. I went up to Michael Smith. And before the game, I walked up to him and I said, this is going to be the best game I've ever played. I hate that I said that because like looking back, like, damn, it really was the best game that I ever played. But I went on to play another nine years. I used to call it like crescendo, like all week. Like I would come out and on Wednesday, right, we're installing first and second down. And I would just come out with this crazy energy. I'd be like crescendo, 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 crescendo is like, you know, in music. Building, you know, sound building up, Right. And so. I would start raving up, and then Thursday come, then Friday come. I was a freaking madman. Like, crescendo! <laughs> like, I used to have the whole team saying the coaches, they'd be like, oh, you go, Brandon, with this crescendo thing, right? During that week, I, like, embodied Jay-Z. Like, Jay-Z is somebody that I, I look up to from someone that comes from where I come from, but he went beyond music. I'm looking at Jay-Z and how he moves, and it was, like, effortless. I'm like, damn. And he was came out with this, this album, and so the whole week I was listening to Jay-Z and I wanted to go into this game and I wanted to perform at an extremely high level, not celebrate, not say anything, but make it look effortlessly. So whole week I was crescendoing, but I was meditating on like everything, how I was going to dress and how I was going to respond after every catch. I said that before the game, but then when the game started, I went into this deep meditative state. 
if you go back and watch those catches in those games, you'll see me with my, like, after every catch I have, like, almost I had my head down, I just tossed the ball to the ref. I never was a celebrator, but this was different. And so I was getting up catch after catch after catch. I didn't know how many catches I had. There was a couple games before that I had 18, and I think I tied the record, maybe Terrell yeah. Owens mm-hmm. against uh, the Chargers in Denver. And I remember sitting there, we're losing, and I got my head down, and Kenny McKinley, who ended up taking his life, he was a younger wide receiver and one of my teammates, obviously, and he comes and sit next to me, and he's like, looking at me weird. I turn into, I morph into a different person on game day, and it's like now in business, there's certain settings where I'm like, oh, this feels like game day, I'm morphing into something else, right? Mm. And so I'm sitting here, and we're losing, and he's sitting next to me, just looking at me. I'm like, bro, what the hell are you looking at? He's like, you don't know? No, but what the hell are you looking at? Say it. And he's like, bro, you have 18 catches or so. He's like, you're so close to the record. I said, what the fuck is the record? He said, 20. I said, man, why the fuck didn't you already tell me this? Right? And I went up to Coach Josh McDaniels like, Coach, I, they say I'm close to the record. I want to get this record. He's like, oh, we know. We're going to make sure you get there. And so uh, it came down to like the very last play of the game where I was sitting at 20. <laughs> Kyle Orton, bless his heart. Like some people would just fold under pressure. <laughs> so Kyle, everybody wanted me to get this record. And so we're talking about from me to you, which is for people who's listening, we're talking about what is this, three yards? May add another yeah. three yards, yeah. six yards. All he has to do is just turn around, just throw it to me six yards. There's no defenders around. Just toss it to me. I'll do the rest. It's a catch. It's, a comp- it's, it's the record. We tried this two times where he throws it in the dirt. Like my three-year-old son, four-year-old son would have been able to complete this pass. So now I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the f- Kyle, what is, what, Kyle, what are we doing? It's a bubble. And you can see the stress all over his face. And it's the last play. And we're also still trying to win the game. Right? Playing against the Colts. <laughs> so it comes down to the last play. It's like fourth and ten. We got to get the first down. Also, everybody wanted me to get this record. And so he calls the play, and I just, before I left the huddle, I said, I'm not doing that shit. Just wherever I go, just keep your eyes on me. I'm going to fucking get open. I'm going to find a way. And I was supposed to run, like, down the middle of the field and do, like, post if it was two, two safeties, which we call split safeties, or if it was one high, which is three or one, whatever, I was supposed to stay up the numbers. I said, I'm just going to find the spot. And so I remember going, tossing a DB, and then, like, kind of, like, making up a route. He <laughs> found me. He hit me. We got it. And then I was like, okay, I got the record. Now I got to go get the first down. And so I was running, and I was coming up short. And then as I was going down, because I knew I was going to be coming up short, I tossed it to Chris Cooper, our offensive lineman, so he can go get the first down, try to get it. So that was a, that was a cool game. And I think the biggest takeaway, right, is mindset. You know, what you speak over your life. You know, words have power. You know, you speak things into existence, right? Your self-talk is important. And then I also think, like, what I did in that game, like, I eliminated distractions. I wasn't thinking about who was in the stands. I wasn't thinking about celebrating. I was thinking about, like, my craft, my mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. right? And that's how you get into the zone. It's like you, it's almost like you black out, you know? And you see athletes out there now, it's about so much more. It's a distraction. I'm thinking about when I score, what dance I'm going to do. I'm entertaining the crowd. I don't have time for that. So there was a lot of, like, lessons there and key takeaways for me in that game. And that's the thing I love about sports is that there's so many things that 
you learn that you can't get anywhere else. And and that was a that was a really cool moment for me. No, man, thanks thanks for sharing that. That's what I was looking for. I've watched that game in its entirety. I remember those moments. I remember that pass bad to the lineman and you made that happen. And obviously people are excited for you because they're just seeing somebody succeed and excel. And that's another thing about sports is its ability to motivate, to inspire. And that's what you're able to do now. Yeah, and let's go back to this, right? Another key moment. What if Kenny McKinley told me, you know, at 14 that I was having a legendary game, but I've still broke the record? So it's also understanding running your race, putting your head down and work, you know, just work your process and whatever happens, happens. Like knowing that you gave it your all and living with the result. And this is about goal setting, right? Because there's a shift where it's like, oh shit, had so many goals. Every year, all my goals at the receiver position was like, I want to break all the records. So what is the record catches a year? 140 by, at the time was Marvin Harrison. I was like, that's the goal, but I'll settle for hundred. But like, no, I'm going for that. With Jerry Rice's record yards, like to me, these were attainable. You know, but that was my goal. And then I realized, like, I read this book, Mind, Body, Mastery by Dan Millman, and then The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. And in it, it talks about just, like, just mindset. And there's so many cool things. And I love this one takeaway where he he says, like, a lot of people struggle because if you go out there and say, all right, I want to have a 1,000 yards. All right, that's the goal, right? That's the benchmark. I may be a 1,500-yard receiver. If I hit 1,000, and it's like, oh, I made it. But you're really a 1,500-yard receiver. Don't put a number on it. Just work your process because you don't know what you are. And there's a lot of people that go out there and say, I want 1,000 yards. But they're really a 700-yard receiver. And then they don't make it. And then they start looking themselves in the mirror. That's when insecurity creep in, self-doubt creep in. Because you actually think you're a 1,000-yard receiver, but you're really a 700-yard receiver. And that's okay, right? Again, like there's so many things that we can take away from these moments and, you know, just the journey of it. I mean, I could talk about this forever. It's like all the things that I've learned through sports. Some of these games or these moments or these seasons. But let's get a little bit into it. Damn, this is like, you're good. Yeah, this is great, man. But yeah, I just kind of want to. always on the other end. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Man, I'm of the course. interviewer. And I enjoy that as well. I enjoy both sides. Can you just talk a little bit about what you have coming up right now? We can discuss a little bit about what your platform is up to and what you have coming in the next year. A lot of things. Everything that I do is about my calling and my purpose. And House of Athlete is that. House of Athlete is my nonprofit, right? Like, how do we get people to unlock their full potential, reach peak performance, or understanding how to get back to peak performance because there's ebbs and flows to it? You know, everything we talked about today, and then there's so much more, kind of created House of Athlete, but it went from nonprofit to for profit because of the stigma around the nonprofit sector. I realized that football was my platform and, and not my purpose. And I realized why I was here. I had this, this moment when I retired from the NFL where I was sitting in a facility that was called FitSpeed and ended up morphing into House of Athlete. We started this in 2012 and everything I wanted to feel in the nonprofit side, I felt through House of Athlete. It wasn't just me training my mind in developing my brain, it was how I ate, how I trained, how I slept, company I kept, which is tribe. It was all of those things. I was like, damn, this is this is it. Talking about performance, not talking about impairment. Coming in this way and then saying like, yeah, these are some of the things that some of the top athletes in the world do to maintain or to get back or to be here. These are the same things that you can do, whether it's a youth athlete, a pro athlete, or adults. And so I wanted to say that because everything that I do is purpose-driven. 
the biggest thing that we're working on right now because we can't be everywhere and we have this amazing brand and super talented team where I mean we're reaching people globally now people know House of Athlete and people want to be a part of it but we can't scale that quickly from a brick and mortar standpoint and we're not going to scale everywhere it just doesn't make sense for what we need to do but we can show up digitally so over the last year our team has been working extremely hard on HOA plus it's been an interesting journey over the last year trying to really figure out how we show up in this space because it's crowded and there's a lot of noise there's a lot of fads there's a lot of trends and there are some people that's doing some amazing things and we envision is being able to scale this athlete lifestyle digitally. We want people to be able to come to one place and have the right nutritional plan or have access to one or people that can walk them through it. What's not to be excited about? I'm excited about it. And I think it's the question. Have, the question is this. Yeah. Are you going to sign up for it? I'm okay. in. Yeah. All right. Come on. Let's go.